0: Welcome to The Messy Studio with Rebecca Kroll, the podcast at the intersection of art, travel, entrepreneurship, philosophy, and life in general. I am Ross Tickner, Rebecca's audio producer, podcast guru, and her son. On today's show, we have part two of Abstracting from Place. Uh, With me, as always, is Rebecca Kroll.
1: Hello, everyone. Yeah, we uh, last time started the discussion with um, a little anecdote about, you know, a student asking jan mason steves and myself when we were in spain well like how do you do this like what's what's the simple direct answer to how do you abstract from being in a particular location and so um in the last podcast we discussed part one which is sort of opening up to the experience of a place and how to um absorb as much as you can while you're there and this time, um, we'll go get to part two, which is a little more practical. What do you do when you're in your studio? <laughs> like, how does this actually work? <laughs> yeah.
0: So, what what are the nuts and bolts of this whole process?
1: Um, you know, as simply uh, as simply put as possible, it involves intuitive play, in which you're sort of drawing on your uh, experiences um, that that you have stored away as memory, and. Um, it's It's not an easy thing to explain because it is intuitive uh, I guess i I will have some slightly more concrete or practical tips but uh you know it people have asked me this before because i it's the way that I work I mean really i the basis of my work is being in places and landscapes and then pulling out of them um impressions that form an a abstract language for me, and it, it's quite challenging to explain how that how that does and also challenging to teach people. I think what, what we found, which worked in the workshop, was just kind of not a lot of direct instruction. We just um, encouraged people to experience it and kind of got out of their way, and that really is... um part of this, kind of getting out of your own way with it and not overthinking it.
0: Sure. Just allowing it to happen and allowing the process to work.
1: Yeah. And it, I mean, that sounds um, both simple and hard. <laughs> and in my own experience years ago, when I, I did an artist residency in Spain, the first time it kind of hit me, oh, this is actually happening without me pushing it, was I did a lot of work there And I I got home and I compared it to some photos I'd taken. And I realized how much influence the visual world around me had been having that I wasn't really that aware of at the time. But it was being absorbed and filtered through. And then it continued um, on in the studio through through memory and a little more probably specific intention about what I wanted to do with it. Um, But... I think everybody's process with this is also pretty individualized, so (laughs) all I can do is say kind of um, what works for me, but one bit of advice to start out with is when you're in the place, if you're working, you've gone somewhere and you're actually working there, like on a residency, or you've taken yourself on a little trip of some sort, uh, the The materials to use while you're in that place should be ones that you're pretty familiar with uh, because you want to be fluent with materials. You don't want to be fighting technique or whatever uh, while you're trying to let this kind of come through you. Sure, you want to
0: be able to take full advantage of of the experiences that you're having and not have to focus mm -hmm. on anything else.
1: Yeah, and this this is something I've kind of realized uh, it's hard to combine, say, for me – Teaching basics of cold wax medium at the same time as expecting people to be interpreting the place that they're in, it's just too much. You have to work with something that you you already know you know how to work with pretty well because that's the best way to form that that channel so again, the basic idea is intuition. I think it involves trusting the process, which we've mentioned in the past um, because if you've done the work of gathering impressions and you've you've been out in the in the place and you've observed and you've felt and you've thought and you've gathered up all this stuff um and you do this ongoing i mean you might like when i'm in ireland i usually go out every day and take a walk but i'm also working at the same time so i start but i do start gathering the information right away and and then there's just kind of a um a trusting that you don't have to push a certain idea. You know, you don't have to come at your work and think, oh, I want to express something about the sea or whatever it is. Instead, what seems to work the best is uh, just to start playing and experimenting. And it's quite surprising, actually, what happens and that things start to appear in your work and because you've been um, allowing them to and not forcing it. There's always so much of this striving and trying in the art practice. I mean, it's hard to avoid it. I, I do it myself. It's one of those lessons you have to learn over and over again is, hey, just, just chill, you know, just, just let it happen. Um, it's very, can be very difficult. So, um, in actually approaching your work. So I've got a few tips and ideas here. And one of the things, I find as a mental block that people may feel when they're in a place or they're working with an idea of a place that they've been is you have these ideas about, I should, I should do this. I should do that because that's important about the place. Like, for example, Oh, I just spent a week in a small Spanish village. Therefore, I should have something in my work about, say, tile rooftops or old weathered doors or stone buildings. (laughs) You know, it's like you feel like those things are iconic to the place, and they should be in your work. But I say, uh, you know, you're not creating a travel brochure, okay? This is your personal experience and your personal memories and impressions. And so when you find those should ideas creeping in, you know, don't, please don't pay much attention to them. Because sometimes um, it can be very ordinary things that you've been looking at. And or they could be there could be things that are quite quirky and personal to you uh, that other people wouldn't have gotten from a place, and that's that's perfect to go with it, you know, because the more, if you bring that personality to your work, it's going to be good work. And if you're trying to just do what you think is expected, it probably will be a bit dead for you. Um, and, and kind of along the same lines that, you know, sometimes we feel the need to sort of Illustrate a a place with a kind of illusionistic space. Uh, if you've been in a a landscape with mountains, you might feel like you want to show those mountains in the distance somehow. And again, you know, it's it puts it. I think when those start ideas start in your work, you're sort of in people pleasing mode. You know, you you're sort of thinking, oh, I want someone to know that I saw these mountains, or somebody will relate to these mountains. And, and I, I mean, I've talked to many students who say, oh, you know, I, I saw this landscape appearing. So I decided I would enhance it in some way. And I think in that moment, you leave, you leave your own path and you get into the path of trying to um, offer up something that so you think someone is expecting.
0: Yeah, I mean, you could kind of achieve that same effect by painting from photographs of a place. You're not really painting the place. You know, you want to you want to absorb everything about that place and not just paint what, like you say, what you would see in a travel brochure.
1: Yeah, yeah, and it is the way a lot of people take photographs is, oh, I'm in, um, you know, a certain city, so I have to take a photo of this landmark. You know, <laughs> you always see all these people snapping photos of castles and all that. I mean, I do it myself. You, it's hard to avoid, <laughs> but in terms of photography, you know, also taking photos of things that nobody else would even notice is is part of your creative process. Um, and, and speaking of photos, I think it's, I, I could mention that um, like a lot of people, I, I take a lot of photos when I travel. And I always feel the need to explain that they're not references for my paintings exactly. <laughs> to me, the the moment when I take the photo and I'm really looking at something, I'm present with the subject, that's what impresses in me somewhere. I don't need the photo after that. I may enjoy the photo, and I do, and I may put it on Facebook, and I do, but as a reference, it becomes um, not very important.
0: Yeah, it's more about the memory of the of of and noticing yeah, that ex- thing in the first place exactly
1: it's it's that you took it and it's a way of processing what you're seeing and i think sometimes artists are criticized for constantly taking photos uh, but i think our eyes are are roaming and finding compositions and colors and things all the time and for myself you know i probably take a lot more photos than i ever even really look at so
0: the the act of looking for a photo to take is Mm -hmm. is what is going to help you notice the things that will eventually find their way into your work
1: it's a good way to put it and and the photos that you take often come out of your creative process come out of your painting as much as the other way around people often assume they're influencing your painting but I always think it's actually the other way around that the paintings create the photos. So when I when I work later in the studio, I mean I'm, I I have probably my my phone sitting around full of photos. I probably have some notes and sketches and things, but I don't. I really don't look at them in the in the act of painting. Um, I do find that writing notes, writing ideas, is one way to get them down, get them kind of out of your brain. And so when you're painting, you don't have to think about them. And so I, I have often take notes in a notebook or sketchbook about ideas or compositional ideas, thumbnail sketches, things like that. And then they're, they're out there. I don't have to think about them. <laughs>
0: well, sometimes thoughts can be very fleeting. And, and the act of writing something down or sketching or taking a photograph yeah. Is is a way of kind of cementing something. It, it in holds your mind. it. It
1: holds the idea. Yeah, and, and it, it ca- makes it captures, more permanent. Yeah, it captures it for whatever, and even if you never look at it again, it's been it's been captured. So, um, so I, I that's that's kind of what I do. I know people are very different in that. Um, some people really want the photos visible, but to me, it gets in the way of the intuitive process, uh, because you're always thinking, you're comparing what you're doing to, even if it's a very abstract photo and a very abstract painting, you're still making that comparison instead of letting the painting be the, be the painting. Um, So a few other ideas about, um, Things to actually do in the studio. So, I kind of mentioned a few things not to do, like not try not to illustrate, try not to be too dependent on your source material, um, try not to be in the mode of pleasing other people. But um, a few kind of ideas of interesting pathways. One of which is, I, it's kind of a, it's kind of a great way to incorporate actual place into your work, which is when you're in a place picking up um, sand or dirt we, we picked up a lot of dirt in Spain <laughs> um, ash uh, charcoal from a beach fire anything like that and using it in your work um, another thing I've done recently is to make textural rubbings so in Spain I had I was just going out with like thin drawing paper and rubbing on rocks and it makes a really beautiful Uh, Textural pattern, and then I would go. I would paint over that with gouache or um, something else, and just have that as a as a background. But I love the idea that you could that you can actually connect with the environment in that really physical, material way in your work.
0: Um, I want to talk a little bit more about you picking up like dirt and yeah, campfire okay. ash and stuff like this so what is the actual process for incorporating that into your work do you okay. do you mix um, it with like the cold wax medium or
1: yeah there's a lot of things you can do with it and one of the questions people always have is well do you have to sterilize it or do something I never have I mean I think um, whatever little microorganisms, might be in there are going to perish quite quickly. When,
0: <laughs> yeah, and I mean, people don't go around licking paintings most of the no. <laughs> time. It's a very select clientele that uh, likes to eat their paintings.
1: True enough. So, um, so basically, with dirt, you might want to strain it. Um, and you probably, when I say dirt, I mean, I probably don't mean just ordinary dry, crumbly, muddy dirt. But if you're in an area that has sandstone or beautifully colored uh, soil as as the area was in Spain where we were, you just scoop it up and you can scoop it up from the roadside or whatever. Um, strain it a little. If you need to crush it a bit more with like a mortal and pestle, that works too.
0: Do you mean like put it through a sifter? Yeah, or? yeah,
1: yeah. And then um, same with, with sand. Um, I pick up sand on the beach and probably don't even sift it or strain it. It's already pretty fine. Ash, same thing. Um, as for what you, how you make it into pigment or what you use with it, it's pretty wide open. One of the things I like to do is um, use egg, which is a very traditional binder. That's what I was using in Spain for the most part. So you just separate out an egg yolk and put a little water in it and mix it with your your stuff and put it on. <laughs> That's a very, very um, uh, broad interpretation of egg tempera. I mean, people that do egg tempera would have met much more technical info about that. But basically, egg is a binder. Um, egg white is also a binder. And we made some of that in Spain. You just whip it up, leave it sit overnight, skim off the foam on the top, and you're left with this stuff called glare, which you mix with your powder or your pigment. Other binders, you could use, um, gum arabic, which is traditional. You could use acrylic mediums. Um, we ended up using some kind of clear latex from the hardware store at one point. Somebody brought to us and, oh, okay, let's try it. And it was fine. Um, definitely cold wax medium, though. Yeah, that you can mix um, all kinds of things in with that. So when you're working with,
0: with more natural binders like, like gum arabic, or or like egg. Do you run into any issues with like smells? Or no,
1: it's surprising. I, I don't. I I don't understand why not. But um, egg egg mixed with paint and applied in a thin layer really doesn't seem to have any odor. Um, you know, I would refrigerate it while you know overnight if I was going to use it again the next day. But it's it's interesting. It's very old um, traditional technique. So. Um anyway so that's that's one kind of fun way to incorporate your environment and um just being just kind of open to that uh idea and you you'd be surprised what you come up with in um in Ireland, people often take the peat ash out of the fireplaces because it's kind of gritty it has some, a little bit of texture to it more character maybe than wood ash and it, may, it has a beautiful color kind of a buff color and so right away when you start using something like that you feel it's it's you feel that connection to the place which is interesting um so i have a few more sort of concrete ideas for uh again i've been a little vague about the whole process, but um, some people, you know, might want something a little more directive. So, I would say, like in any process, focusing on visual elements and and composition, and I'm just going to give you a few suggestions here, and and I would say that any one of these might be enough to get you going. And I wouldn't uh, get too involved in this type of exercise because overall, because it it's very pedantic and kind of makes you overthink things (laughs) like, like I want to do this, right. You know, (laughs) there is no right. So as an aside, or maybe jumping off point, um, think about the different visual elements um, and, and focus on them a little bit. Like uh, you can, there's a lot to observe in terms of line in any environment. So plants, stones, rooftops, um, and playing around with different ways of, Responding to those with mark making different types of lines, different character um, and actually drawing stuff <laughs> actually going with sitting with a sketchbook and drawing expressively, not probably not really uh, in a pointy way but just reacting to something gesturally is a good way to um, connect and develop some mark mark making that might relate to what you're experiencing. Um, Shape is another visual element, and and there once you focus on it anywhere, your whole idea of shape can open up. I mean, we tend to have a rather limited view of what shape is, I think. But realizing shape can be soft, it can be amorphous, it can be um, hard-edged, it can be geometric, organic, all these things. And just start looking around and you'll see negative shapes, positive shapes. So... That's part of that visual observing that I talked about in the last podcast, you know, using your eyes. Uh, color is interesting because color can be actual color, local color, when you're looking around uh, and and really paying attention to the subtleties. Or it can be what I call subjective color. Oh, this place makes me feel very, whatever, white, green, black, whatever. So the color doesn't have to relate to what you're actually seeing. It's more of a, a feeling. Um, that's something to think about or explore. Um, texture, thinking about how it could be used in a composition. Um, people sometimes get a bit carried away with texture, and it's all texture all the time, but <laughs> using it selectively. And then um, playing around with, with composition, doing thumbnail sketches, especially with shape and with value, value distribution. And you can fill notebooks with little thumbnails. You can also use, um, some people like to use a little cutout viewfinder, um, like a little frame. Sure. And find compositional ideas in what they're seeing. So those are kind of exercise-y kind of things, (laughs) but they can get you going.
0: Yeah, no. it's, a, it's a starting place.
1: It's a starting place, right. I, and when I first started trying to f- figure out how to abstract from the landscape, I was really focused on this kind of thing. It was all I could come up with. Um, I, wasn't, I was trying to figure it out on my own. And all I could come up with was um, doing things like fragmenting objects and, I don't know, playing around with shapes. And it, I had a hard time actually connecting though. <laughs> I think these things are good um, exercises, but they don't bring the emotional aspect in or the, the feeling or the personal aspect in a lot.
0: Yeah. There's still a little bit too much in any kind of exercise of, of just trying too hard. Trying too hard. Yeah. 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 You gotta, you gotta just kind of, at some point you have to establish a a workflow and it has to just become a process. I
1: think maybe these kind of things are more helpful if you're stuck, you know, and I say like, I would really like to have more line or mark making in my work, but I can't seem to get it going. And so, you look around you and you say, look at look at how those grapevines are curling or look at something. You know, you start to draw or really pay attention and it can start to open up for you. So, um, they have their place for sure. So, it kind of gets back to this whole thing of like, <laughs> it's hard to explain, but here's a few more concrete things that that might be helpful.
0: Yeah. It's, it's something that isn't easy to explain because it isn't something that like, that you can just, there's no formula for it.
1: There's no formula. And and it also takes, it takes different people, different amounts of time. (laughs) So some people can enter a place that's new to them and immediately start responding. And it, it comes naturally. And, other people, you know, they have to be there a while. They have to absorb before they can start working. Uh, and and I get that. I'm kind of more the first person. I mean, I, I always look at the things I do the first few days in a place, and I think they're not very good, but I have the urge to, to do something right away. I have to start processing that way. Other people might not do any work for a couple days and just want to absorb things. And so it the whole process is pretty individualized. You know, do you do you do a bunch of little small quick things, which is pretty good advice, um, or do you start jumping into something more developed right away?
0: Yeah, it seems like there's really you have to play and you have to practice and you have to have patience with the whole that, thing.
1: Ooh, that's good. Yep, that's for sure. Little little. The three little there, yeah. <laughs> um we'll make a t-shirt or something yeah like yeah <laughs>
0: <laughs> so do you have any any final thoughts now that we have uh come up with this whole three p's concept that
1: <laughs> wow what more can i say um well i guess um i guess what i just said there's no one right way to do this and and i think thinking that there is or expecting that there is is a uh, it's hard, and and I get it. Uh, I get the urge to know how someone else does it, and it's it's very hard to explain. It's um, but the basic approach I use is not overthinking, uh, trusting intuition, and also thinking that there's there's a type of memory that's very holistic that includes um, visual, emotional, uh, more cognitive ideas. And, and I, that's really my source. And so when I'm someplace, I try to feed that source. And when I'm home, I rely on that source.
0: Yeah. It seems like, um, memory kind of falls into two categories. There's kind of event memory and then there's kind of impression memory Uh and, and kind of an overall feeling that you have about an experience versus the actual, you know, chronological series of events that happened. Right, happen.
1: right. I can say I went to Madrid, but what are my actual more sensory memories of I went to Madrid? It's just a cacophony of, of sights and sounds and, you know, food and wine and art and,
0: you know. And in, and in some ways that impressionistic memory, I think, is, is likely more accurate you know mm-hmm. human memory is is not very reliable it can be very distorted uh-huh. and and we but when we have that kind of overall general feeling about something that tends yeah. to be you know real related to what actually happened
1: yeah and so to tie in from the previous podcast like trying to or, well I don't want to say trying to because it sounds like striving again but you know
0: no, but you're just dis- there's this natural process that happens where you distill reality yeah, into yeah. through I, through this lens that you perceive it into yeah. and
1: something allowing else. allowing that to happen whatever way works for you maybe it's meditation maybe it's a journaling maybe it's actually being involved in the process as you paint
0: well that about wraps up this episode of the messy studio You can find The Messy Studio on Facebook as well as public profiles for both Rebecca Kroll and myself, Ross Tickner. Make sure to check out www.coldwaxbook.com and www.rebeccakroll.com and sign up for the email list to stay up to date on events, book signings, and openings. Please subscribe on iTunes, Google Play, TuneIn, or Stitcher and leave us a rating and a review. Remember to share the show with friends and family and anyone who you think will enjoy it thanks for listening. We'll be back again next week with more art and entertainment. In the meantime,
1: embrace your own creative space,
0: messy or otherwise.